0: Welcome to another SpeechWorks podcast, Conversations About Communications. I'm Marilyn Ringo, SpeechWorks coach, and joining me, Joey Asher, our fearless yet very well-spoken leader. Hi, Joey. Hello, Marilyn. And Well, every day in our business lives, we are trying to persuade people to do things. Our boss to approve a budget, our colleagues to buy into an idea, a prospect to buy our product. Business communications is basically all about persuasion.
1: We're trying to get people to do stuff that we want them to do.
0: That's right. And our guest, Jay Heinrichs, has written a new book about persuasion, and he has concluded that to be truly persuasive, we need to study the ancient art of rhetoric. He is resurrecting rhetoric. His book is called Thank You for Arguing, What Aristotle, Lincoln, and Homer Simpson Can Teach Us About the Art of Persuasion. Jay Heinrich spent 26 years as a writer, editor, and publishing executive before heading to the Northwoods of New Hampshire and devoting most of his time to rhetoric. Whatever for, Jay? But first, we're going to find out why you're so fascinated with rhetoric. Uh, But first, we want to know, what is rhetoric? Remind us what rhetoric is.
2: Well, Marilyn, uh, rhetoric is essentially the art of persuasion. Joey, it's more than just a matter of getting people to do what they wouldn't want to do. It's getting them to want to do what you want them to do, and that's what rhetoric is all about.
1: So it's not necessarily getting them to do something against their will. It's making them want to do it, sort of directing them in the same direction as you want them to go.
2: That's right. Essentially, it's the art of winning friends and influencing people.
1: I see. Okay. Very good. So why should we care? I mean, it's, it's uh, if I understand, this is an ancient art going back to ancient Greece. Am I right about that, Jay?
2: That's right. It stretches back about 2,500 years.
1: And why should we care about this today in the age of the Internet?
2: Well, while technology has changed, human beings have not. And one of the things that rhetoric will teach you is how to use the Internet, keeping human nature in mind. I mean, the same sorts of things that humans do to communicate with each other, technology accepted, uh, have remained the same for 2,500 years.
0: But when, when we hear rhetoric, and especially the ancient Greeks, we think of standing up in front of people orating. Or it's, it's much more than standing up and giving a speech.
2: That's absolutely right. While, while speech is important, and I'm, I'm disturbed at how little uh, schools teach students how to speak to one another. Um, either one-on-one or in front of a crowd, um, rhetoric does much more than that. It teaches you how to uh, write persuasively, how to give a PowerPoint presentation, uh, what to say in an email, every form of communication that involves motivating one person to do something or a group of people to do things. Uh, that, can, that constitutes rhetoric. And rhetoric teaches you how to do that um, and make people smile after they do it.
0: What what is your fascination with rhetoric? You you hold yourself up there in the New Hampshire woods after years of being in the biz and uh, and, and studied rhetoric. What what's your fascination?
2: Well, I've been um, a professional wordsmith now for years and. Um, I've always been a little bit frustrated that um, all the emphasis of my education and my professional training has been on sheer communication, on expressing one thing with another. And yet, as I got into management, I realized how, with all my skills of communication, how unpersuasive I was. It seemed as though uh, everything I proposed in the publishing companies I worked for would get turned down. no matter how well I expressed it. And I realized I was missing something. Uh, Then one day um, I was walking through uh, the stacks of Dartmouth College Library here in New Hampshire, and I came across an old book uh, by John Quincy Adams, believe it or not, who had given lectures on rhetoric before he became a professor, before he became a senator. He was a professor at Harvard University. And, uh, and I found a whole new world open up to me, this ancient world of rhetoric. And instantly it seemed to apply to what I was doing. I started using the principles right away and found them enormously effective, not just in my work but also in my marriage and in how I communicated with my teenage
1: kids. Jay, could you give us a couple of examples of principles and uh, how they apply today?
2: I can, and, and really for your listeners Probably I should talk about the three basics of uh, rhetorical appeals, as Aristotle put them. Uh, He said there were three ways to persuade people. One, through logic, which is what everybody thinks is the be-all and end-all of persuasion. Uh, But uh, Aristotle, who virtually invented logic as we know it, said that there were two other ways to persuade people. One is through emotion. And the other is through what he called ethos, or character. And that's your public image, what your audience thinks of you. And if your audience likes you and thinks that you're trustworthy, they're much more likely to be persuaded. So it's logic, emotion, and character. Now, to to give you an illustration of how well character works, which Aristotle said was actually the most persuasive of the three appeals, um, I'll give you one example. And that is, when you're proposing something at a meeting, one of the most effective ways you can do that is to uh, pretend, at least, that you, were, you once believed your opponent's point of view or, or the contrary view of what you're proposing, uh, but that the sheer facts of the case and the overwhelming logic forced you to reach the conclusion that you came to. So,
1: so, f- so for example, you, you'd be in a meeting and you would say, you know, Marilyn, I really for a long time thought that you were absolutely right on this issue, and I, and I believed it up and down, back and forth. But, you know, as I considered it more and more, I started to be persuaded that something else was right. Is that sort of what you're getting, about, getting That's at? That's
2: exactly right, Joey. You said it perfectly. And, and, you know, what that proves is that you have, or at least make your audience believe that you're showing disinterest. Now that's a word that we know so little about, we actually use it wrong regularly. My own computer uses it wrong. It thinks the thesaurus on my computer, thinks that disinterest is the same as uninterest or lack of interest. What it really means is that you are beholden to no special interests, that you're independent. And so you're such an independent thinker that you used to think what Marilyn thought, but now you, you realize as you looked into the matter more thoroughly that um she actually was wrong you hate to say it but she
1: was wrong <laughs> and 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 by the way and, and by by the same token i was also wrong in other words but now i've now i've cut now that i've come to another side i feel like this is the right answer
0: and you're man enough to admit it
1: that's right <laughs>
0: and so which, which one of those was it again the the logos pathos or ethos which one
1: that would be ethos that would ethos. be
2: character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that shows that you're a disinterested person now to to enhance your public character or or what the audience thinks of you. You want to show disinterest, that you're an independent thinker. You also want to show what Aristotle called virtue, which isn't the kind of goody-two-shoes virtue we think of, but rather um, making the audience believe that you share their values. If a company is all about profit, well, you're all for profit, too. That's rhetorical virtue. Uh, And the third characteristic um, is practical wisdom put it, which is um, making people believe that you know what you're talking about and that you could apply it to the particular occasion.
0: So a lot depends on you reading the audience or knowing your audience, knowing your your listener?
2: Absolutely. I mean, there are two things that you really need to pay attention to when you're trying to persuade people. One is audience and making them believe that you're not just one of them, but sort of a superior version someone who's <laughs> capable of leading them. Um, the other thing that you need to pay attention to is the occasion, and this is something that we're especially bad at. The
0: occasion? Uh, Did you say the, the, occasion. the occasion? That's right.
2: The circumstances, the moment, and the timing. So for uh, what that comes down to essentially in business terms is, um, is this a good time to persuade someone, and am I using the right medium? For example, if you're really angry at someone, I'm sure you know this, never express that in an email because the timing there is bizarre. It's instantaneous, but it also lasts forever, mm-hmm. and your audience could end up being a thousand people in your company instead of the one person you were yelling at through an email. Uh, that's that's a bad use of the occasion. In other words, you know, you. you here's another example. I say in my book, um, and this is more of a personal example, not my personal example, but one that someone might use mistakenly, uh, more than once, I've been at ball games where a guy has proposed to his beloved by jumbotron. Oh yes. <laughs> that's that's, ba- that's a bad. That's not, that's not good. <laughs> right. I mean, you might you might find yourself entertaining the crowd in ways you didn't intend, especially if the woman says no.
1: I see. Now let me ask you this. One of the things that's, by the way, uh, Marilyn and I have both read the book, and for those of you who are listening out there, you got to get this book. It is a very fun read, and it has all sorts of interesting things. In particular, what I particularly liked that you brought into the book was all of these sort of modern day examples of the use of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. You talk about what we can learn from John Belushi and Animal House, of all places, or uh, the Eddie Haskell. Uh, I forgot. Right, I
0: forgot. the Eddie Haskell ploy. The Eddie, what Haskell, is that ploy. Eddie Haskell ploy. What's for those who are too young to remember Leave it to Beaver, Eddie Haskell was the, the suck-up, basically, right, and, and Leave it to Beaver.
2: Exactly. <laughs> it's really the Eddie Haskell ploy, which is not what Aristotle called it. It's what I call it, <laughs> is uh, the art of sucking up. And, and specifically, it's when when you know you're going to lose uh, an argument, uh, pretend you were on the winning side all along. So, for example, I mean, George W. Bush did this very, very well, with the Department of Homeland Security, which no one remembers. He actually opposed in the beginning. When he saw that the the politics were uh, against him, he came out fervently for it and and set it up very quickly.
1: So the Eddie Haskell ploy is essentially sort of a... Sort of a modern uh, is, is sort of using the suck up in a in a in an effective way. What about uh, Homer Simpson? Right. You talk that we can learn something from Homer Simpson. Right.
0: Your title says uh, you know we what we can learn from Aristotle, Lincoln, and Homer Simpson. We get the Lincoln and the Aristotle part, but Homer Simpson.
2: Oh, Homer Simpson is my my god rhetorically. <laughs> uh, he, he, the, the humor in that show comes from screwing up logic. And so if you watch and see just what makes it so funny in every episode, you're going to learn a lot about logic. Um, Homer Simpson is all about logical fallacies. Now, the interesting thing about fallacies is that people pay, in a way, too much attention to them, thinking that every fallacy is bad. In rhetoric, though, in The Art of Persuasion, fallacies can be good as long as you get away with them. So for example, (laughs) Um, you know, you hear about uh, how the ad hominem attack is very bad. When you attack someone's character, that's very bad. Well, in persuasion, attacking someone's character is actually necessary because you want to be- your audience to believe that your opponent is not as trustworthy or knowledgeable as you are. This is so, also. But, but, in, but in, in, in Homer, goes way, Homer Simpson, that is, goes way beyond that. And I, I spent um, several years. Uh, spending far more time than I care to admit <laughs> watching The Simpsons over and over again and writing down the fallacies they commit so hilariously.
1: Well, and this is also, it sounds to me like this is similar to what has made Yogi Berra, uh, the, the, ba- the, the baseball catcher and, and Hall of Famer, so sort of well known for his famous yogiisms. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely. But you know, it's a, the yogiism is actually not exactly a fallacy. I mean, in strict logic it is, but when he says something like, nobody goes there anymore, it's too crowded, it has a kind of of wisdom to it. You know, you know, actually, that he that, that means something. In other you know, words, you know, he... When he said, uh, when you find a fork in a road, take it. I mean, you you know that there's actually kind of a higher wisdom going on there. That's it right. doesn't make any sense, for, you know, literally, but it, it, it there's more than that. That's, that's a wonderful kind of figure of speech, which is a way of... Uh, saying something unu- in an unusual choice of words that actually has a higher meaning. Does, to does
0: Tony Soprano fit into that too? He, he was full of all kinds of
2: malapropisms, is that? That's the right word. Sure. That's <laughs> the, right. The malapropism itself uh, is a kind of figure of speech, and, and sometimes it can be used intentionally. I mean, I believe that um, our president <laughs> means to say nuclear that that is actually, you know, he, he knows that how to pronounce it the proper way. But it appeals to uh, a very large audience of voters if he says it the other way, because it makes him sound less than stuck up.
0: And, and he's a good the good old boy way of talking, too. You mentioned that in your book, that, that that is a big part of his appeal and why he was elected.
2: Exactly. I mean, he does have something, as his dad did, some sort of miswiring in his head that makes him occasionally come out with some hilariously wrong sentences. But you remember when he said that uh, gynecologists need to practice their love on women. I mean that that's almost a yogiism. I mean, but but at the same time, you, you know, he didn't used to sound like that when he was running for governor of Texas. He wanted to make himself sound more educated, uh, and if you look at clips, he actually speaks really quite eloquently. A lot of uh, of these so-called Bushisms, actually, I believe, have been intentional. They've won him a lot of votes.
1: Tell us a little, one of the things that I really enjoy is I get your, uh, your periodic emails where you send out figures of speech. I think you send out a couple of them a week. Maybe you could tell us two or three that business people today should, if they only had to pick two or three, that would be the ones that they should focus on.
2: Uh, 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 one thing that you can do right off the cuff is to screw up a business cliche intentionally, um, you know, so one way to do that is to flip it around. And my favorite f- figure of speech at all, which is called the chiasmus, uh, chiasmus is the Greek letter X, and this is the, the mirror or crisscross figure, and I'll give you an example of that. If someone says, um, we need to swim with the sharks, uh, you can say, using a chiasmus, let's not settle for swimming with the sharks, let's make the sharks want to swim with us. You see, you sort of turn mm-hmm. it around like that. Another example would be, um, you know, to screw up a cliché is to take it literally. Uh, someone said, might say, let's not put the part, cart before the horse. You can say, no, let's try something faster. You know, in other words, mm-hmm. to undercut what the mm-hmm. person is saying. Um, I think I can come up, if, if if you're willing to do it, to listen to me a little bit more with a, with a decent climax. Sure. Um, let's see. This, this is where you build on, on one thing and then onto another. And I'll give you an example that Captain Queeg said in the Cane Mutiny. Remember Humphrey, Humphrey Bocard? Sure. Movie? Oh, yeah.
1: The Strawberries. It was the Strawberries.
2: Exactly. In his, his first speech, he says, Aboard my ship, excellent performance is standard. Standard performance is substandard. Substandard performance is not permitted to exist. That, I warn you. That's a, that's a wonderful climax. You can say it a little more politely in a business setting with something like, um, reach across departments and form teams. Teams boost creativity. Creativity boosts productivity, and productivity is what we are all about. If you say that in front of a group of people, it sounds kind of hokey if you say it one-on-one, obviously, but if you say it in front of an audience of people, you can drive them crazy. Uh, John F. Kennedy used uh, Chiasmus, that crisscross figure, in uh, his most famous speech, Ask Not What right. Your Country Can Do For You, Ask What You Can Do For Your Country. And it, it drove you know, thousands of young people into the Peace Corps.
0: And so that's just as powerful today in our, in our business speaking, in our persuasive communicating, than ever.
2: That's can right. The ancients believed that figures of speech could actually act like a drug. And <laughs> making people wow. see a reality that didn't exist, or or um, uh, suddenly have emotions that the orator wanted to give them. I'm not sure I go quite that far, but I've seen uh, I've seen figures of speech used enormously effectively by politicians or, or by you know great figures like Martin Luther King, and well, it's amazing what they've done. And of
0: course, it helps if you're delivering all of this rhetorical perfection really well you know the your delivery style which is which is uh that's a subject for another podcast today, I think it is at this point uh jay heinrichs thank you so much for elevating what we do to a higher level to the classic traditions of rhetoric bringing those into the the 2007 communications persuasive business communications thank you for arguing is the name of his book jay heinrichs and uh, Go Go out, go out there and buy it.
1: Go out and read it. It's a great, (laughs) it's a great book. It has great examples. Uh, We really enjoyed it. Jay, thank you for being with us.
0: Thank you, Jay. Thanks, guys. And we'll be back next time for another SpeechWorks podcast. Join us then.